Hey guys, welcome to Product Explained, the show where we talk about products and the company's history and strategy behind them. I'm your first host, Jeff Lee. And I'm your co-host, Mike Alcazarin. Hey Jeff, do you remember in middle school how big of an issue it was for bumpy bus rides, especially when you were listening to music? I do. I just pretended like all my tracks were all remixed though, so it made it seem cooler. Uh, Today's episode, we're talking about the original iPod, a portable music listening device developed by Apple. This is definitely a throwback, the original iPod. Uh, So Jeff and I are definitely dating ourselves. Uh, The the iPod came out 20 years ago, which is wild. Um, So what this device was is exactly like Jeff said, a portable musical listening device. It was pocket-sized music MP3 player. MP3 was the file format that all of the media files that you needed to um, have to work with the iPod were uploaded into the device. The original iPod had five gigabytes of space. I remember being in middle school and being amazed at how big five gigabytes was. Now that is ridiculously small. <laughs> it's it's just wild to think back yeah. on what we used to think of, of space. Um, but that was enough to hold about a thousand songs in your pocket. So just for some context, you had a, a CD player was the main uh, stream, or at least what I used, the main listening device that I had. And that at most had you know, maybe 20 to 30 songs, depending on the quality of the CD that I had. So to sum this up, you know, the iPod was our generation's Walkman. Um, And the Walkman is a whole nother rabbit hole of cassette player to explain that we won't get into. But it was fairly expensive when it first launched. Uh, The device retailed for about $399 back in 2001. So to put that into perspective, that's about $589 today. So definitely really pricey. I thought of it as just a must-have device that, uh, you know, what do you mean that I can have a device that doesn't skip uh, <laughs> whenever I hit a bump? And I was definitely willing to pay for that um, and save up as much as I could and, you know, shake down my grandma and my aunts and uncles for <laughs> Christmas money to be able to afford this. So I just, looking back, I can't believe how expensive that was. I think what's also kind of crazy to think about is the fact that, you know, a thousand songs sounds like a lot, but a lot of people didn't have that much music. And today you can stream. So you basically have millions of songs at your fingertips. But, you know, at the time, uh, you know, at our age as middle schoolers or whatever, we might have, you know, a handful of CDs, maybe five to 10 CDs. And like you said, let's just say that there's 10 songs uh, per CD. That's like a hundred songs. So this is like way above and beyond what most people needed. And you're right, five gigabytes doesn't sound like a lot of space. But at the time, you know, even flash drives were like megabyte size. So a gigabyte was pretty crazy to get. And I think the iPod came out in 2001. So it's it's a crazy amount of space at the time. Totally. You know, what's interesting too is that I want to, you know, touch on like music listening taste. And I'll talk about that in a little bit uh, in regards to the history of the product. And the history of the product really aligns directly with our personal, you know, we grew up with the iPod and how it kind of evolved into other things. But, you know, MP3 players were definitely a luxury. Mike mentioned that they were $589 uh, per MP3 player. And I honestly don't think I knew that many people that bought iPods on launch. I don't think I know of anybody that had an iPod on launch. And it didn't really feel like iPods became super popular until the price point came down a few years later. Did you feel the same way, Mike? Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and maybe it was also just timing of, you know, being a middle schooler, like that was an sure, ungodly yeah, amount of money. Right. Um, and then maybe you go to high school a couple of years later and uh, you're making, you know, $7 and 10 cents uh, <laughs> cleaning dishes or whatever your your job right. is. So it's a, yeah. l- a little bit more attainable. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree that it took a little bit of time for it to actually get adopted. If you think about the MP3 player as well, like what it really does for you is it just allows you to listen to music on the go, which doesn't seem like it's worth paying almost $600 for, right? Like 
the older generation from us, uh, maybe they had cars and none of those cars were MP3 compatible. So they were still burning CDs and playing music through CDs. We didn't have music listening at the time. There's no like iTunes connect or anything like synced into your cars or anything like that. But a lot of it was just like, you know, you're buying this thing, totally a luxury item and totally a leisure item. And you're maybe just listening to it like a couple um, a couple times a day, like maybe at home or like you said, on the bus or anything like that. So it seems like kind of a weird time to launch something really beyond its time. But, you know, luckily it worked out. Yeah. And I think we go in there is setting the stage for what 2001 music listening was like. We had portable CD players and that was a huge innovation because you could take your, you know, compact disc. What a antiquated term. I can't believe yeah. I'm saying that in 2021. But you would take your CD and, you know, bring it into your CD player and having a skipless CD player was like the big thing. And like those, those weren't cheap either. Those were like 50, 60 bucks to get one that didn't skip. Mm-hmm. So like basically how a CD player works is it's a spinning disc with a laser on it. But if you hit a bump, it would essentially uh, skip the CD. So it, it might, you know, come all garbled or something would happen. So to be able to have a portable device like an MP3 player that you could upload, not just like the quantity of, you know, going from 10 to 30 songs all the way up to a thousand songs was massive. But to Jeff's point, I think that, uh, you know, how we were listening to music and just the quantity that we were listening to is we were really patient back then, man. Like being able to only like handle like 20 songs at a time. Now it's like where you have so much choice, you can go to any streaming service and you just have unlimited choice that you almost don't know what to listen to. But back then, like we had to like spend time and curate CDs and playlists and, and all of that jazz. Yeah, let's just jump into the history of the product a bit. It lines up with some of the things that we experienced growing up. And I, I want to talk about, you know, our personal experience with not only the iPod, but other MP3 players and other types of download uh, services. So I'm not going to talk about all of Apple's history and <laughs> how they kind of rallied back from almost dying. But the death, uh, right? Yeah, but Steve Jobs essentially had founded Apple and left Apple and actually returned back to Apple in 1996 after his company Next was acquired by Apple. After some internal moves, he became the CEO and you know, they had a brand new vision for revamping the vision uh, and the perception of what Apple was. You know, at the time they had just come up with these personal computers, but they really wanted to break into the consumer space and, and do things to really change what people's perspective of Apple was. And so Steve Jobs and some of the other team decided that they wanted to break into the music listening space and that this was, you know, a novel way to, for them to break into consumer products, ones that you can take with you on the go. And they developed the first iPod and the first iPod was actually released in October of 2001, which if you really think about it is a really weird time to launch a new product, right? Like uh, only a few months before was September 11. Oh, I didn't even think about yeah. that. Yeah. And which is That's like crazy. really bad for the market. Uh, I'd like to try to tie, you know, product releases and with like real time current events. But like at that time, do you think a lot of people were really thinking about buying the $600 MP3 player? Like it, this could have been another make or break moment for... Apple and it really could have tanked the product. But, you know, surprisingly, it obviously lived on and did well. They released this first iPod a few months after they released their Mac version of iTunes. So they were already kind of planning for this music, I guess, like organization software tool early on with iTunes. And obviously, if you have a Mac today or if you have an iPhone, you're familiar with iTunes, it drives the updates for or can drive the updates for your phone. And if you're syncing music to your to your iPhone, you can do it that way as well. Jeff, um, I can't tell you how much time I spent in iTunes just organizing and renaming oh, sure, for sure. all these files. All the like, metadata and all the stuff oh that you God. don't get. Yeah. Like 
for context, like for folks, like it was the Wild West. Like there was no like uh, there was nothing. Like you had to put in every single like file, like you know, like the artist from the album, and it was always the wrong album with some weird cover art that got pulled in that just wasn't right. Um, but yeah, I spent hours and hours, if not days, of time organizing my iTunes. Yeah, and the main way that we were getting these MP3 files were peer to peer sharing systems. So one of the first ones was called Napster. Uh, and obviously you know what Napster is, Mike, but Napster came out in 1999. So not long after Napster came out, you know, Apple decided to capitalize on this phenomena of people downloading and sharing music and allow people to be able to take music along with them. So again, Napster, the idea of Napster was that, you know, if you had music, you could upload your music and then anyone on the internet that had Napster as well could also download music from you and share it. There's a lot of copyright issues with Napster and ultimately <laughs> Napster did go under, but that didn't stop other companies and other software products from creating these peer-to-peer sharing tools. Like LimeWire was another one that came out in 2000 and Kazaa came out in 2006, which coincided really closely with me being in high school and downloading music for free. But even though I think a lot of people weren't paying for music at the time, like they weren't paying for music from iTunes, they weren't buying music and there certainly wasn't any music streaming. Um, people saw the value of a product like the iPod that could manage your music and take it with you on the go. Totally. It's so funny because I can so vividly see all the logos like for Napster, Limer, yeah. and Kazaa yeah. like, as, you're, as you're saying them. Right. And just remembering like, internet connection, like it goes back to like, I think one of our early episodes with Dropbox where we talked about, you know, going from dial up to broadband to DSL to just fiber optics to where, to where we are now. And I remember leaving to go to school in like seventh or eighth grade, having Napster up just so I could download two Rage Against the Machine songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it took all day, like literally all day where like the phone line was out of commission. I'm pretty sure my mom was like, Mike, like, why can't I make phone calls? Like, I just hear this crazy noise. Right. Like you're running up the phone bill. Please stop. But I'm like, I have to listen to this Rage Against the Machine song. Like, you don't understand. It's, it's all the rage. It's all the worst part. Like you mentioned, it was the Wild West. The worst part about downloading music at this time was... You could be downloading a song with quality degradation. You could be downloading a song that is improperly named and they just like put in a phony song. You could be downloading a song that has parts of it skipped out. Like there's all these different problems with different songs that you're downloading. So earlier on in Napster, it was really kind of a crapshoot if you're getting the right song or the right file or whatever. And it wasn't until later where they started to introduce like how many downloads this song had or maybe like an actual review or rating system that people knew which songs actually downloaded by quality. Napster, again, was mostly around music, but LimeWire and Kazaa <laughs> allowed you to download uh, files, other file types. If I remember correctly, it wasn't just music. It was you can download video, you can download software. Obviously, a lot of it was pirated, but you know that was kind of <laughs> where, where it was in the internet in, in terms of copyright policies and, and software. But we can talk a whole podcast about like the Wild West totally. of data sharing and, and software sharing at the time before obviously companies moved towards subscription. But that's just like one spinoff of the implications of having something like the iPod. And the iPod release really drove the use of these P2P sharing tools a bit more. Something else I want to mention too is that a really large implication of the iPod was that the lead design engineer for the iPod was Johnny Ive. For those of you that aren't familiar with, you know, kind of the Apple lore, uh, Johnny Ive is responsible for basically 99% of the Apple products that you know and love in terms of their design. So you know that sleek, uh, I guess a characteristic Apple design that you know and love from the MacBooks to the iPhones, obviously iPods, iPod Touches 
all those items that came from Apple that had that characteristic Apple look uh, came from Johnny Ive. And Johnny Ive was a really big driving force behind the redesign and the rebranding of Apple. Um, In fact, Johnny Ive was actually responsible or partially responsible for the design of the new Apple building. The big circle. The big circle. Yeah, there's this big spaceship donut um, that Apple headquarters. It's it was recently finished like a couple of years ago, and um, Johnny Ive was part of that design. But recently, Johnny Ive left Apple. Actually, um, I want to oh, say I didn't know that. Yeah, he left the company. Uh, I think within the last two years. So that was a big deal. I mean, he's just like this. Like, if I, if I think of industrial design in the 21st century, like you got to think of Johnny Ive. Like what he did for Apple and just bringing design to the forefront. Like I feel like. In the ni- 1990s, design was always an afterthought. Like nothing yeah. was, nothing looked, <laughs> nothing looked good. You know, it was kind of just like ah, like people will buy it because it's a because it just has like this these features. Yeah. But what Johnny was able to do is just really pay attention to design early in the process and just say, hey, like how does this look? How does this feel in your hand? Like what's the like, user interaction with it? The whole um, soup to nuts and what that looks like. So yeah, I appreciate what, what Chinese Ive did at Apple for sure. Yeah, totally. It's especially because like most products at the time were built for functionality, but yeah, user friendliness wasn't a thing. And so Johnny Ive, in fact, Johnny Ive is knighted. So he's actually Sir Johnny Ive. And so he, oh, like, people have actually recognized <laughs> oh him for, for his contributions to design. Um, I want to quickly touch on the different iPod variations as well. So the original iPod was the iPod Classic. And then from there, the next big iconic step was they had the iPod touch wheel. So before it was just like four buttons on the iPod in a circular fashion. But then there's an actual wheel that you can kind of scroll via, I think like piezoelectric or some some sort of other sensor uh, where you, it actually sensed your thumb touching and spinning on the wheel. And then they started to add color um, to the iPod. The iPod shrunk and became the iPod mini. Then there was the iPod Nano, which was even smaller. Then there was an iPod Shuffle, which was kind of a, I guess, bargain version of the iPod, which didn't have a screen. It just, you put all your music on an iPod and, you know, let it shuffle. What an idea, the iPod Shuffle. Like, I remember, like, my, I think my sister, like, really, really wanted one. And it always, like, frustrated me. I'm like, you're just going to get a random song. Yeah. And, like, you can't, you can't interact with it. You, like, the whole point of the iPod is to put a billion songs on it and, like, have ultimate choice. Yeah, but I think it was just super affordable, right? Um, exactly, totally. And I think the reason why that was important was because if you look at the landscape of MP3 players at the time, um, I remember somewhere between the iPod Mini and the iPod Nano, there started to, there was a lot of other third-party smaller MP3 makers that were making these like almost thumbstick size MP3 players that would maybe play like twenty or thirty songs, but they're super cheap, like twenty-five dollars, thirty dollars, which is really cheap for MP3 players at the time. In fact, you can probably still buy some of those online now if like you don't want to give your kid a phone. Um, but you know, <laughs> Apple wanted to compete in that space. You know, they had the premium product of a thousand songs, two thousand songs, you know, five, ten gigs with color and screen, and you know, eventually the iPods were able to play video. But not everyone needed it, so they started to develop something along the lines of the iPod Shuffle, and that's where that came out. And then lastly, the iPod Touch came out, which was a little bit after the first initial iPhone release. In fact, it looks a lot like the iPhone, um, just without calling functionality. And so, yeah, the iPod Touch was one of the first touchscreen-type MP3 players that came out. They're still actually supporting iPod Touch manufacturing. I think the most recent version came out in 2019. But obviously, most of the MP3 needs have shifted away from dedicated mp3 players to phone devices so everybody's smartphone now can play mp3s i mean like there's some storage space that you can actually (laughs) store mp3s but more importantly 
there was also a shift towards streaming. So uh, with the advent of things like Pandora, with Spotify, with all the other streaming services, a lot more people are using less onboard hardware space to store their MP3 players, which is where, you know, LimeWire and Kazaa and Napster kind of made their heyday. And now people are, you know, listening to music on the go via the streaming service that they're paying for. I remember vividly when Spotify came out and I was like, why would I use this? I want to own my music, right? Ownership was a big deal. You remember like ownership was a really big deal. Um, and by owner, by ownership, you mean my pirated library. <laughs> exactly. I wanted my songs. copy that I got illegally, but nobody can touch or change my copy. But yeah, like this idea of me paying to rent or borrow music, um, which is what streaming felt like just didn't feel right to me. But now you can't live without it because while yes, you don't technically own this quote unquote copy of the music forever, you get unlimited access and you get to access millions of songs without having to go and download them one by one. And like you said, like worry about the metadata of naming the songs, who is the artist, where is the cover art, all that stuff. So I think it's really important to to see um, how the iPod uh, not only changed the trajectory of Apple, but it changed the industry of design of Apple. It changed the advent of the iPhone. It changed this idea of streaming services. Like all these things were kind of impacted and affected by the release of the original iPod in 2001. No, for sure. And it, I, I think it can't be understated enough. And it's so funny you mentioned the um, wanting to own things versus not. Mm-hmm. It took me, I think, until like probably three or four years ago um, to actually get over <laughs> that. And I think I, de- I ended up deleting like my library file just because I needed the space for, yeah. <laughs> for, for something else. But it was so painful. I mean, because I have like very fond memories of all the time that I spent building up my library because at least for me, like the two ways that I built up that library of music listening, it was either through painfully downloading stuff from Napster or LimeWire mm-hmm. or Kazaa. Um, actually, maybe three ways. So downloading it myself, um, sharing libraries like locally with other people. So like my friends in high school, I'd say, Oh, like, like let's swap hard drives or like, here's a CD, here's a a data CD. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's also a difference between like a, a data CD versus like a music CD and how it's formatted, um, which is wild. And then the, the third way that I would get a bunch of, (laughs) um, and I don't know if I should be admitting this on a a podcast, but it was, uh, going to the library and uh, ripping CDs from the library. Oh, so nice. I'd actually like, um, <laughs> you know, if like, I think Red Hot Chili Peppers came out with like their, um, I forget what, what album it was. And I just went to the library, picked it up and ripped it to my computer. And granted, I was just using it for my personal use, um, but it was still just like a really interesting way to move files. And I feel like my progression through technology was really uh like all of like the me wanting to listen to music was super foundational for me adopting technologies. I remember like the CD burners, the DVD burners, the hard drives, mm-hmm. the computers, everything was just like really foundational of like, how can I listen to more music and like have the latest technology um, here? And yeah, and all these iPods for probably 10, 12 years of from 2001 to 2013, I was just, I was in, I was, I was in it. So I love I love this. Yeah. It feels like, Every time you solve one pain point, like another one would be uncovered. Like, oh, like I now have music that I can bring with me. Well, but I'm, I'm getting all this music, but it's hard to name everything. Oh, like I <laughs> I can now use touchscreen or now I have a phone, you know, but I want this space for other stuff like pictures. It's just really interesting to see how it's kind of evolved from this original problem of like, how do we get music on the go that doesn't skip to now? Like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like the minority of people have MP3 players. Um, yep. And we've shifted through that technological, I guess, breakthrough. 
And, you know, most people have phones now. So what's the point of having just an, a dedicated MP3 player that, that just does one thing? Which is funny because think about other combo type uh, technologies. Like, remember the DVD TV player? Uh, and people are like, this is terrible. <laughs> right. And then people are like, you should just get dedicated stuff for dedicated, you know, reasons. And But, you know, your phone does everything now anyway, so... Yeah, I think this is like a perfect like um, microcosm of the expression software is eating the world mm -hmm. where like now all you need is just an interface to like, whatever the media interface is, be it audio or hardware and software can just, you know, you create, create a solution that that fits around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it all culminates to the smartphone, which is just mind blowing that we have fit so much into it from like a high definition cameras all the way to, you know, streaming media. <laughs> Before we wrap up this section, I just want to talk really quickly about where the name iPod came from. So it was actually a freelance copywriter, I believe, that was working at Apple. And they equated the iPod to one of the drop pods um, from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, and there's a quote in there that says, you know, open the pod doors, Hal. And it, they're referring to these like white, you know, drop pods or EVA pods. And they had this analogy of the pods in the ship were really compared to the personal computer, which was the Mac, the Macintosh, and then the this portable music player, which was the iPod. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like I always wondered where the name iPod came from. And now you kind of know that it came from this guy that was really interested in some geeky 2001 a space odyssey which is also really cool because that's the year that it came out so um it all kind of oh, that's wild together. full yeah. circle yeah exactly and it's not like for those of you that are familiar with 2001 a space odyssey that didn't come out in the year 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> that was like uh that was a sci-fi book that came out yeah like right? way before yeah. yeah like 40 50 years before it's it's wild though like i like all of science fiction like it's it just how foundational science fiction is, especially to some of the invention that happened. Um, it's, it's still happening mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Um, and in, in what it inspires, like I'm sure, like there's technologies that we're seeing in like the Marvel comic universe, oh, or yeah. the Marvel universe, or Star Wars. Maybe I'm just naming Disney properties now. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, any sci-fi that comes out and how that's going to affect what people think about and just dream about and inspire. And um, it's, it's crazy that, you know, something that like the space Odyssey, uh, 2001, a space odyssey um, inspired something that really <laughs> crazily just changed the industry um, a massive amount. Yeah, for sure. There's a study or I can't remember if it was a book or a documentary that talks about all the different technologies that have come out of things like Star Trek and Star Wars and things like that, and even books. So it's really cool to see how that's kind of come to fruition. We did a little bit of digging into how well the iPod sold in its first year, and they didn't really separate out iPod sales for some time until the fourth quarter of 2002, which is about a year later. Um, the first quarter that they actually did that, the bottom line was that the sales of the iPod accounted for only about 3.7% of sales, which doesn't seem like that much. But two years later, it, it was nearly 23% of sales, so which is massive considering that this was just meant to be kind of the side project um, totally. you know, obviously they're looking to re-envision the, the music playing space, but it was a very unproven space, right? Like, you know, there were other MP3 players, but it, none, none of them really caught on, you know, people were still using CDs. So adoption was kind of slow, but 23% of your total revenue from just a music listening player is pretty crazy. And now if you look at Apple, I, I'm sure a good chunk of it's probably iPhones, but yeah. Yeah. I definitely love that. And, you know, going into who the iPod was for, it was definitely for the early tech adopters, you know, someone that was looking for uh, portable music that wanted to just with the iPod was for is just someone that wanted more, you know, you wanted more mm -hmm. portability, you wanted more data, you wanted more songs, um, all in like an easy to use interface that you could control and just listen to wherever you want to. 
to give you an idea of like the industry at the time, uh, the U.S. in 2001, Americans were spending roughly $13.5 billion on records and CDs and any kind of like music listening. Um, and so that was the first year in 2001 that iPod was out. Ten years later in 2011, um, that number decreased by $10 billion to $3.1 billion. So just a massive decrease. It's like a 75% in, decrease. Yeah. Yeah. Just wild. Of I, I remember like being in middle school and like the news was on and there was all these like um, cases that were happening of just like, what, what is the music industry going to do now that like CDs aren't a thing and like no one's going to make any money off of uh, like iTunes or not iTunes rather, but off of like MP3s and all of that. So it's, it's just like really interesting how things, especially the, how things changed and also how the music industry just kind of felt stagnant like they, mm-hmm. they weren't adopting i remember like big bands like metallica came out and said you know there's like no way that we're going digital and like they or actually they just like trashed like anyone that was like <laughs> on napster and it was definitely I, I loved metallica growing up and i felt guilty the whole time but it, it is what like, it but is but i can't afford <laughs> to buy any cds <laughs> exactly i can't afford that 20 dollars mm-hmm. cd and like speaking of cds like if you look at the sales of cds i have a, a picture up here and it's a perfect bell curve. Like, you know, CDs were invented in like the early 1980s and there was like no sales. In 2001, it peaked at like 900 million sales. And by 2015, like it's basically non-existent yeah. today. Um, so it's just, you know, really interesting to see the rise and fall. And once you like intersect the iPod over that and what that did to MP3s and the music and listening as a whole, um, super fascinating to see. You can tell it's like a direct correlation, right? That iPods came out and then CDs, you know, fell back down to, you know, minuscule use. Totally. So, yeah. I don't know who's, I don't even know. It says that there's 46 million CDs that were sold in 2019. Like who's I don't buying know them? who those, yeah. exactly. That's what I want to know. Well, like, you know, old is new, right? I think record players are kind of making a weird comeback. And it's like this luxury, you know, boutique kind of cool hipster. item that people, hipster item, yeah, that people have in their living room. And I think records are really cool. I, I don't have a record player, but I've been in record shops and the record art is really cool. It's like, it's super cumbersome, right? It's not very practical, but it is really cool to have. Um, CDs less so. For, but no. <laughs> Totally. I, like my, my sister loves them. And like, you know, I, I actually also love records. And I think the reason why is because it, it just eliminates all the choice is like, all you have is this album, mm, yeah. exactly how the artist wanted you to listen to it. So like if you're listening to like a Led Zeppelin album or like even like an album from today, like I just got my sister a Fall Out Boy vinyl. And That's awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy because like we, we had like a, a thing where like at Christmas we just like listen to Fall Out Boy, <laughs> like which yeah. is like crazy it is just to, <laughs> to say that sentence. <laughs> um, but it was it was really nice because like you're just – 100% in the moment. Yeah. Like you're not like shuffling songs, you're not like fighting over like oh like like let me like play this song next. It's like you're not in control. It's like the people that wrote the songs are in control and like they're just going to give you the music how they want you to listen to it. Yeah. Let's talk about some other folks that tried their hand at the MP3 player space. Um it did seem like it was kind of short-lived, but there were definitely other people that tried to do the same thing without the same results, right? Ones that come to mind around the same time that the iPod released, you know, Apple's biggest competitor, Microsoft, had the Zune. And I remember getting my dad a Zune for Christmas one year and he <laughs> asked me to return it and get him an iPod. And I was like, okay, I wanted to get him something different. You know, everyone was getting everybody iPods that year. And I was like, oh, the Zune seems kind of cool and um, and different. And he was like, no, I want to be mainstream. So um, that's hilarious i'm so sorry Jeff. <laughs> no yeah it's it's totally cool there's no coming back from that <laughs> i know i know i mean total total dad move like I, I guess i would do the same thing 
There was a Sony memory stick Walkman, which used uh, Sony's proprietary media format. Um, they didn't really adopt MP3s until later. Uh, that's crazy. I feel like that's a huge like missed opportunity. They should have seen that like every single mo- like <laughs> every single music uh, song that you wanted to download off Napster or wherever it was always MP3s. Like yeah, you wouldn't even consider anything else. Well, you know what's funny? Like there was a lot of people that used MP3s but loaded them in a different format. So like with the iPod, you would bring it in via USB or whatever, and you'd sync it up, um, and you'd use the onboard hard drive. But I remember, I think it was by Sony, there was this other player, it was like perfectly square, right? And maybe the size of like a post-it note. Um, and they had these little tape decks that you can put in. And it was like, kind of like a a cassette, but like more space, if that makes sense. Totally. And but it was like it was still really compact, so that was nice. But it like was before MP3 players became like widespread use. And it's also funny now that I think about it, because my dad got me one of the earliest MP3 players or, or earlier MP3 players, which was by Creative. It's called a Nomad player. It was shaped like a CD player, and I think it stored like maybe fifty songs. So way way smaller in terms of capacity than the on launch iPod. But also the player itself was much larger. I had to plug it in or I had to use four AA batteries. Like that, that <laughs> it was like, it was a beast. And for sure, um, I remember bringing it in one day to school and my teacher was like, why are you even using this? Like, this doesn't seem any better than a CD player. And she was right, you know, but it was like early adopter. <laughs> but I get twice as many songs. Yeah, <laughs> not even, uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like early adopter mentality, right? Like, well, this is cool because it's different. Um, 100%. Compact had released a, a personal jukebox, which I love. That. It's called PBJ. It's PBJ 100, uh, which had about five gigs, which and stored about 1,200 songs. I think it's funny, like the the naming. You know, yeah. It's like yeah. even just like with iPod, it's like it kind of rolls off the tongue versus like personal jukebox 100, PBJ 100. Yeah. Um, it's just funny from like a branding perspective. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. And then, the, you know, there's obviously other like alternative music listening tools, like people still using CD players, um, their record players, and people were listening to radio and, and things like that. So, yeah, uh, there's definitely other people that have tried. And I mentioned earlier, like these small third party MP3 stick manufacturers that created those things for some time. But I think we've mostly moved along from MP3 players into the smartphone realm and less and less people have dedicated MP3 players. Yeah, no. So I think um, just talking about like my thoughts of like what I thought of the iPods or just, yeah, I'm going to review it as if I'm in 2001, yeah. <laughs> you know, putting myself back in the day. I would say, you know, this is like a probably like a 4.1, 4.15 star product for me. I think what's keeping it from being higher is just the price. Like product market fit is like, this is awesome. Like if I'm, you mm-hmm. know, middle school yeah. Mike listening to like my one Lincoln Park or Chevelle or like whatever <laughs> random CD that I have. I'm just, you know, dying for more music. So I love that I was able to take that and just have, um, you know, <laughs> eliminate the skip problem. I can't even like think, I, it just blows my mind that that was a problem back in the day because I can't imagine having that. Imagine listening to Spotify today and having skips. Like that'd be terrible. Like Oldest news, somebody's going to like put together some app that like intentionally skips music to give you that tactile feel for some reason. Like people are people are <laughs> weird. Like somebody will put it together for some reason. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's, that's funny. Um. So yeah, like product market fit was there. The pricing was way too high. Like I, my first iPod was a used iPod from eBay. I'm pretty sure I paid like 200 bucks or something like that for it. I used eBay a lot back then just to get those those deals. Apple's strategy with the iPod was, you know, really good. They saw that there was this massive area for disruption. You know, when you can go when you can 10x anything, um, that's a really good 
place to be. And they were able to 10x like portable music capability going from 10 songs. They were able to 100x and go from 10 songs to 1,000 songs. Um, so I, I think the strategy was was on point. Customer experience, it was definitely a little bit of the Wild West, as we mentioned earlier, with you know putting together the metadata and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to end this with 4.15 stars for me. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to review the iPod as a whole, like the whole end-to-end uh, development of the iPod and like what it meant for you know the industry. I'm going to give it like a 4.75. Uh, and the reason being is that it really shook up the industry and it did a ton of good for Apple as a company. It brought them back from the grave. It kind of set the edge and set the standard in terms of Apple as a design company. It allowed for other people to follow suit and start developing MP3 players. And MP3 became a really big player um, in the space. And people had, this was like one of the early, you know, onsets of the personal device that people were actually carrying. And it was like widespread adoption and things like that. Yeah, I think the pricing was, you know, pretty rough, especially on the original iPod Classic. But later on, the iPods started to come down to like, 150 bucks for later iPods, which is pretty, it's super digestible. And I think like if you got last year's version of the iPod, usually it was like they would discount it down to like $99 or $75 or something. For sure. The strategy I think was really good. You know, they saw a need in a space that they weren't a part of. And they, again, set the tone. They realized that people would want to download music from people's experience with Napster. They created iTunes and then they similarly created a device that was compatible with iTunes so people could manage their music and bring it on the go. And then later they parlayed that into the iPhone, right? It became another yeah. MP3 player that could do more. And, and obviously the, the design was so good that it drove other designs and everything was named i whatever <laughs> or Mac whatever. So yeah, I think like overall, there was a lot of really good that came out of the iPod quote unquote experience. And customer experience wise, earlier on, it was pretty bad that music was really hard to catalog and, and still is like if you were to download music unless you download it directly from itunes like it's kind of hard to catalog so i'll still take off points for that but now people are streaming even though ipod didn't do that i think overall that's kind of been solved so yeah i think overall for i'll sure. give it a 4.75 like there's obviously some things that they could have done better in terms of pricing and cataloging music but you know they, they, it just did so much for so many different industries and i think it's just really hard to to quantify uh, or, or be able to compare to something like iPod and how much it's changed, how tech has been you know, perceived and consumed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, those are our thoughts on iPod, and we'd love to hear from our audience. So feel free to share what you think about us on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. You can find us at P-R-O-D-E-X podcast. Yeah, and if you like the show, uh, be sure to like us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. And let us know what other products you want us to review next. See you next episode.